in case you don't know, or in case you haven't heard, or in case you're like Rip Van Winkle and just awoke from a very deep sleep, this is an election year. This Tuesday, day after tomorrow, is actually designated as election day. And that's when the rest of those, other than the 90 million that have already voted, will go to the polls and cast their ballot. Some have already voted by mail. They voted in early voting. But we're casting ballots to determine who the person is that will lead this nation for the next four years as president. We're casting our ballot for local elections. We're casting our ballot for U.S. representatives. We're casting our ballot in some Senate races. But let's remember the foundational scripture for this series of lessons that we're going through. Proverbs 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalteth a nation, and sin is a reproach to any people. Now, if you look at what's going on, and if you talk to people, or you listen to interviews of people, in the minds of the voting public, there are a lot of questions that are facing them in this election. And I hope that as we study this lesson this morning, I hope that we'll see some things that must be settled about candidates that are running for president. You see, the most important thing about these candidates that are running for president is not their economic plan. And the most important thing is not their plan to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's not whether they're going to raise or lower taxes. And what they might do about national defense or immigration is really not significant. Their stance on school lunches and foreign policy is not a major consideration. The most important thing to be settled is their personal character. Now, that's the most significant thing about any candidate running for public office. Now let me say this about that. Make no mistake about it. Let me be clear. At the end of the day, did you have your cliche counter on? We shall not find anything in any candidate that resembles perfection. If we wait to vote until we find an immaculate nominee, we will never vote at all. Also, we must never take the statements of red-hot partisanship as the measure of any man or any woman. If you go back and you look at your history, the presidential election of 1800 was a very heated, very contentious, extremely mean-spirited election. 
The position of Thomas Jefferson was completely misrepresented by the Federalist Party. New England at that time in 1800 was heavy Federalist. And in New England during the election of 1800, women actually buried their Bibles. Because the Federalist Party spread the story that if Jefferson was elected, he was going to confiscate all the Bibles. And after he confiscated all the Bibles, he was going to actually burn all the Bibles that existed in America in 1800. Here's a news flash for you. In 200 plus years, politicians haven't really changed all that much. If you rely on the history books, and if you rely on newspaper archives, in the entire history of the United States of America, there has never once been an honest or respectable man or woman who has run for president or vice president. It's actually been merciful that they were not all hung before Inauguration Day. That is, if you can believe the rhetoric, the literature, the campaign pamphlets, the television ads of their opponents. And in our day and time, even with 24-hour news cycles, with cable news outlets, with the Internet and all the things at our disposal, it's difficult to get an accurate estimate of an individual's character. One news report spins it one way. Another news report puts a different twist on the same event. One newscaster says, well, there's nothing to see here. So what we have to do is be both cautious and we must be prayerful. And our senses and our sensibilities are literally bombarded from every direction. And I'll be very honest with you, I'm so thankful. To me, one of the greatest inventions that has ever come about is the mute button for the television. So that when some of these commentators come on and some of these ads come on, I can hit the mute button and I don't have to listen. Now, that said, I do not believe that God is either a Republican or a Democrat, and He's also not a Libertarian. In fact, I know for a fact, God is not a, a member of any political party. And so as we participate in this election process, I would encourage everyone who participates in it to use discernment. Over the years, like yourself, I have seen a lot of political candidates, numerous candidates, who were able to quote a lot of Bible. I've seen them quote the Scriptures, and I've also seen them totally clueless about what the passage they were quoting really meant. I have observed 
candidates for political office quote the scriptures and totally misapply and abuse the text of the Word of God. I've also noticed something else over the years. And that is that for the most part, the scriptures, the Word of God, have little, if any, impact on the way that they live. I've heard candidates talk about being born again. I've heard candidates talk about their conversion experience. And I've seen born again candidates, candidates talk about their conversion experience that were as corrupt and rotten as anybody could possibly be. In voting, God expects us, me and you, to use discernment. That is, He expects us to use good judgment. He expects us to use common sense. God gave us a mind, and God expects us to use it. And the long ago in the wilderness on the top of the mountain, God gave Moses the Decalogue. And we commonly refer to that as the Ten Commandments. They are a part and parcel of the old law that was taken out of the way with the death of Jesus Christ. And yet those Ten Commandments, that Decalogue, is actually still incorporated into the teachings of Jesus. With the exception of the commandment to keep the Sabbath, every command, every principle of the Ten Commandments was brought over and incorporated in the new covenant of the New Testament. Therefore, the moral character of those running for elected office in our nation is important. It doesn't matter whether they're running for mayor or county commissioner or county judge or county sheriff or U.S. representative or U.S. senator or president. What is important is their character. How does their life stack up against the moral code of the Decalogue? You see, the cornerstone of all morality, of all wise law, of all righteous jurisprudence, of all good government, are the two tablets of stone upon which were written the Ten Commandments. Quite honestly, in this era that we're living in today, in this time of great political agitation, it's a good way to describe it, isn't it? It would be well if the newspapers would print the Decalogue someday in place of their learned editorials by some of their wise editorial writers. However, no matter what happens, do not turn the Ten Commandments loose on the political parties of our day and time. Because if you did, there would be a wild panic. And let's keep in mind something else. 
the breaking of one commandment makes it easier to break all of the commandments. And any kind of sin weakens the conscience. And if the conscience is weakened, that opens the door for all kinds of transgressions. Basic morality of the candidates is important. If a man or a woman under provocation will commit one wrong, they will commit any sin. If under provocation a man or a woman will be profane, they will commit any crime. If a man or a woman will mistreat the Lord of glory, they'll mistreat their fellow man. Here's what our very first president, George Washington, had to say about profanity. This is when he was the commanding general of the Continental Army. The general is sorry to be informed that the foolish and wicked practice of profane cursing and swearing, a vice hitherto little known in our American army, is growing into fashion. He hopes that the officers will, by example as well as influence, endeavor to check it and that both they and the men will reflect that we can little hope of the blessings of heaven on our army if we insult it by our impiety and folly. Added to this, it is a vice so mean and low without any temptation that every man of sense and character detests and despises it. If a man or a woman is guilty of malfeasance in office, they will commit any sin. Those who will steal will lie. And those who will lie will steal. And in those that hold public office, we want honest folks. Next time you're listening to some politician speak, ask yourself the question, would I want to buy a used car from this man? Or would he be the kind that, like back in the old days, would have rolled back the speedometer a few thousand miles? Simon Cameron was a well-known politician of the 1800s. Cameron served as a senator from Pennsylvania. He was Secretary of War under President Abraham Lincoln. Cameron Parish, Louisiana, is named in honor of Simon Cameron. Simon Cameron, however, was not a man who was noted for his honesty. He'd probably fit in real good in the 21st century. In fact, Thaddeus Stevens once was discussing the honesty of Simon Cameron with President Lincoln. And he said, you know, the only thing Cameron wouldn't steal is a red-hot stove. And Stevens even later retracted that statement. One of the most famous statements attributed to Simon Cameron 
An honest politician is one that when he's bought, will stay bought. We've got a lot of those today too. But if, for example, a man or a woman is unchaste, that opens the door for all other forms of iniquity and corruption and sin. It really doesn't matter what your definition of is is. And in those we elect to public office, we want people that will be truthful. And by truthful, we mean the whole truth. Not just shades of truth or partial truths that will suit their purposes. But if you listen to the political class, and if you listen to the political pundits, playing fast and loose with the truth has almost become a sport or a national pastime. Sometime listen. I mean really listen to the pundits as they spin for us what the candidates have said. And tell us don't believe what your lying ears heard. I'm really going to tell you what was meant by what was said. It sometimes reminds me of the story that I've told before about the preacher that walked out behind the church building one day. And there was a group of about a half a dozen boys out there all clustered around a, an old stray dog. And the preacher walked up and he folded his arms. He said, boys, what are y'all doing? Hey, preacher, we found this dog out here and we're swapping lies. And the one that tells the biggest lie gets to keep the dog. And he stood very erect. He said, boys, I am shocked at your behavior. I am so disappointed in all of you boys. When I was your age, I would have never thought of engaging in such a practice. So these boys all huddled up and talked a minute. And the spokesman for the group said, okay, preacher, you win. You can have the dog. There are basic questions that we have to ask sometimes. We have to listen to those who are seeking elected office. We need to read what they hand out. We need to hear what they have to say. And we have to ask ourselves, is it the truth? Here's what the wise man would write for us in Proverbs chapter 6, beginning there with verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that are swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among brethren. You realize how many of those things the Lord hates could apply to the political class in this country in 2020? We have to ask some basic questions, and we have to answer them in our own mind about those we would vote for. What is their guide for making decisions in moral issues? Do they have a respect for the divine will of God? 
Do they have a reverence for God and for what God says to us through His Word? Are they faithful to their family commitments? Does the candidate have a history of being truthful and honest? The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Or rather than being truthful, do they engage in shades of truth or plausible deniability? How does the candidate view issues affecting Christians? When we look at political candidates, how do they feel about issues that are a part of basic morality? Issues such as homosexuality. Or how do they feel about drug use or drug abuse? Or the legalization of drugs such as marijuana. Our nation right now, today, is facing a God crisis. This was a nation that was founded upon Judeo-Christian principles. Those who founded this nation crossed the Atlantic so that they could get away from a religion that was controlled by the state, a religion that was mandated by the state, a religion that was supported by tax dollars, and they had the freedom to come to this nation to worship God however they deemed fit based upon what God said through His Word. And then consider the history of this country. Over the years in times of war, And national emergency, what has America done? America has prayed and fasted. What has America claimed as one of its slogans? One nation under God. What's on our coinage? What's on our currency? In God we trust. America over the years has portrayed itself as a Christian nation depending upon God for help. And when we talk about America depending upon God for help, we're talking about the God of heaven, the creator of this universe. We're not talking about Allah or Buddha or Mohammed. But in our day and in our time, There are those serving in office that want to remove every vestige of God from our society. And those who want to remove every vestige of God from our society have been aided and abetted by numerous court decisions over the years. Does the candidate I support have the conscience? Does he have the he or she have the integrity? Do they have the strength of character to appoint judges to the bench that will keep us and keep our nation on its original path? 
Or will they appoint those who will take us further and further away from God, as has happened in recent years? It was Thomas Jefferson who had this to say. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just. We have reached a low watermark in our day and time. We have reached a point in our day and time when basic morality is almost non-existent. The concept of homosexuality is being promoted as an alternative lifestyle, and we are bombarded with it from every segment. And society and politicians can call it an alternative lifestyle, but if you open God's book, God still calls it sin. And there are politicians in this country that would want to haul me up on charges for hate speech because I dare to call it sin the way God's Word calls it sin. You can take a dog and you can take a dog's leg and you can call his leg its tail. But it's still a leg. You can call sin by any other name you want to call it. But God still calls it sin. And there are those today who shamelessly promote the murder of innocent babies. They call it abortion. And they say, well, that's just a person's right to choose what they do with their own body. I said this a few weeks ago in one of these lessons. If you're laying on a gurney in the emergency room at the hospital, and the doctor hooks a monitor up to you, and your heart flatlines, and there's no heartbeat. What does the doctor do? He pronounces you dead. How in the name of common sense can you hook a monitor up and hear the fetal heartbeat of an unborn baby and say it's not alive? Abortion is nothing more than offering a baby on the altar of sacrifice to the God of self. And having an abortion has not ever, does not now, and never will make a woman unpregnant. It just makes her the mother of a dead baby. I think the late Ruth Graham put it best. She said, if God does not bring judgment on America, He should apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a lot of truth in that statement. Are you listening? If I vote for a candidate 
If I champion politicians who support the murder of innocent babies, if I support politicians that promote a homosexual agenda, if I support candidates who are fundamentally immoral and dishonest, crooked and corrupt by playing fast and loose with the truth, that means they lie. Have I become a partaker in their sins? Let's say you and a couple of your friends get together and you decide to go rob the bank. And you're driving the car. And your two buddies run in the bank and they pull their mask up. Well, now then they've already got their mask on. But anyway, they, they go in with their mask, they pull their guns, they demand all the money, they rob the bank, they shoot a teller, they get in the car and you drive them away. And you all get caught by the police. What's the law? If you're the driver of that getaway car, what's the law? Are you an accomplice to murder? Yes. If you support, if I support a candidate who champions the murder of innocent babies in the womb, am I not an accomplice to their murder? You be the judge. What has to happen? Fundamentally, America needs to return to God. Righteousness exalts a nation, and sin is a reproach to any people. You remember that beautiful scripture? It's over in Second Chronicles chapter seven, and it's in verses thirteen and fourteen. If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We have opportunities to make sure that the candidates that we vote for uphold principles contained in the New Testament. The process of taking America back to God begins with us as individuals. Our time is gone. Until we're together again, may the Lord richly bless and keep you, is our prayer in Jesus' name.